Well, we are continuing on in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And as we do so, we are um, covering all the Beatitudes today. And you might think to yourself, of course you are. Of course you're going to try and, and, uh, and chew all of that in one day. But our hope is that we'll have an overview today and then at a, a later date we will go through them one by one, perhaps in a summer series uh, coming soon near you. Um, so with that, um, have you noticed like one of the most overrated hashtags is on social media? I know that no one's on social media anymore because you've all watched the same documentary now that I have. But when you were on social media, um, have you noticed one of the main uh, overused hashtags was what? Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. Like it's everywhere. It's overused. It's um, uh, certainly out of context many times. And um, it, I think it helps us understand, though, how we as a nation, how we as a people have defined or are defining what it looks like to live a blessed life. So my question to you, as we've gathered here this morning or online, um, how have you defined a life that is blessed? How have you defined a life that is blessed? Your answer to that question is one of the most serious answers that you will ever give. How do I define the blessed life? If you define the blessed life as peace, free from drama, comfort, surely you will avoid all things that are uncomfortable. Right. If you if you somehow uh, believe that the blessed light is competency, like if you're an engineer, you're thinking competence. I've got to know all the angles. If the blessed life for you is competence, then surely then you will avoid gaps in knowledge. If you believe that the blessed life is being right, you will avoid being wrong and you will also avoid repentance and apologizing. If you believe that the blessed life is a good and early retirement, you will forsake all other avenues of managing your finances, such as generosity, so that you can uh, achieve the goal of early retirement. However you have defined your blessed life is how you're going to rearrange your life. And if you don't know, if you don't know how you've defined the blessed life, take inventory, friends. Where are you spending your time and your money? Where are your, you and your family spending time and money? And that will help you determine how you have defined the blessed life. Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your time? That will help you understand what your top priorities are. Your bank account and your calendar tell no lives, lies. They just don't. They reveal what we are already prioritizing and valuing. And dare I say, counting as the blessed life. But what if the blessed life isn't about how we've defined it? What if the blessed life isn't really found in our calendar or our bank account? That's just revealing how we've defined it. And instead, God, God in the flesh, Jesus, has defining the blessed life a wholly different way than the way we have defined it. You see, through the Beatitudes, which we're tackling today, through the Beatitudes, Jesus helps us understand how he defines the blessed life and I, and I wonder if we then are going to be invited into to evaluate how we've defined it and then reorient around how he has defined it. See, he is going to just um, invite us into a different way of thinking. And this is going to be a little bit of a controversial statement. So dear Christian friends and brothers and sisters, hear me. Jesus doesn't sprinkle the blessing dust on any sort of Christian life that we just call Christian. 
He doesn't just, just sprinkle his blessing on you because we say that we're Christians and then live however it is that we want to live. That's not the life that is truly blessed. It is a life that is blessed is one that is reoriented around his understanding of what it looks like to flourish as followers of Jesus. He has a design within which we can flourish. So it's going to cost us our understanding of what that looks like, and it's going to call us to following him. Jesus's kingdom is entirely and wholeheartedly different than the one that we may be building. How we have defined blessed, because Jesus comes in and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's different, isn't it? Blessed are you who are meek and humble. That's different. Blessed are you who mourn. Okay. We must be really blessed then this year. We've been grieving and mourning for like six months about when is normal going to come back to us. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. That's not on the list of things that we probably opened up with. When When I asked what is the blessed life, that's probably not where you went first. Oh, the poor in spirit. When I'm poor, yeah. It's probably not what you thought of. Instead, probably some version of the American dream came into your mind. Some version of it probably came into our minds. And Jesus is inviting us into something wholly different. So how can we make sense of blessed are the persecuted? How do we make sense of blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness? How do we make sense of all this? What was Jesus communicating to us? How is it and how will it affect our lives today? How do we reconcile Jesus' words in verse 3 when he says blessed are the poor in spirit with what we have counted as blessed? To understand, I want to just do a couple different things. We're going to do like a a drone flyover uh, to understand the landscape here of the Beatitudes. And then we're going to get down to the details of all nine um, in like rapid fire order, but we're going to still do that. So, so drone footage first overview is this first, we've got to understand two things as to what the landscape is of the Beatitudes. First thing is this, what does this word blessed mean? What does this word blessed really mean? And to understand it, you have to have like a deep understanding of old Testament language and new Testament language to really see what God is trying to communicate when he comes upon the scene and he, and he gathers all of his people up on this mountain. And not only are the disciples there, but there are likely hundreds or thousands of people. And certainly this isn't a one-time thing. This is an itinerary that he would consistently preach all throughout the cities we talked about last week. And as he gathered all sorts of people, both Jew and Gentile, the poor and the destitute, they were hungry constantly when they came to hear Jesus talk. And he gathers all those people that have no other home, have no other hope. And he says, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. That's going to be an interesting thing that we unpack here in just a moment. But what does that word blessed really mean? It really, to understand it, just to kind of summarize Old and New Testament language, it's really this. Blessed is best understood as human flourishing within God's kingdom. Human flourishing within God's kingdom kingdom. It is thriving according to God's design. Blessed are you. Flourishing are the poor in spirit. How can that be? We've got to unpack the rest of the thing. So first, what does this word blessed means? Flourishing, right? Second, what about this structure of the Beatitudes, which I know none of us are probably English majors or or grammar people like we've all uh, probably tried to forget from our childhood, but it is important to understand. The structure of these statements is super important. If you think it's an if-then statement, like if you are blessed 
if you are poor in spirit, then God will bless you with a certain thing, such as the kingdom of heaven, then you're going to do everything you can to be poor in spirit. It's not a prescription, however. So Christians, church family, the way that Jesus teaches, the way the New Testament teaches us isn't that we do things to get from God. It is that God has already given us all that we need. How then shall we live in response? It's not an if-then statement. It's a statement, a true statement of God's intention and design for human flourishing. So it's flourishing are you um, who are poor in spirit for, a.k.a. because. Another way of, of translating for is just the word because. So flourishing are you who are poor in spirit because yours is the kingdom of heaven. God will give you the kingdom of heaven. Though you are poor, God is rich, and he will give you all that he has. So that's the understanding of these uh, sentences, right? So that's, that's, zoom, that's, the, that's the, the, the drone overview footage of kind of the landscape. Number one, what is blessing? It's flourishing. And number two, is it an if-then statement? Do I need to do this so that I get this from God? No, it's God will give you this. Now live this way. That's the overview. Now the details of all the Beatitudes. Are you ready? Hang tight. We're going through them. Again, we'll take our time at another day to go through these one by one. But today, we're going to cruise through, right? Just to kind of set the landscape for the rest of the sermon. What does it look like to live into this kind of kingdom? What does it look like to flourish as a follower of Jesus? And I want you to hear me. He is going to split his crowd into the crowd of people and then his true followers of people. And he does that by inviting people into this kind of living, a.k.a. you're a follower of Jesus if you hear these words and live into them and, and attempt to really bring on and kind of put on this design for us and flourish in these ways. And if you don't do those things, then you can still hear and you can still listen, but you're clearly a part still of the crowd instead of the followers of Jesus. So he goes into this, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, and I just have to ask myself the question, like, who calls the poor blessed? Jesus. Jesus calls the poor blessed. Jesus calls the poor in spirit blessed. Those who have nothing to bring to God, who are spiritually bankrupt. Um, I was at Starbucks this morning, and I was out on a patio because it was 67 degrees out, y'all. Yeah, baby. Just soak it up. It's gone tomorrow, but it's here today. All right? So we're going to soak it up. So I was out on the, on the patio of Starbucks, and I met a new friend of mine, and I was telling him about the gospel and, like, inviting him into this life. And I was like, hey, man, like, God calls you blessed. You have nothing to bring to him. You are poor in spirit. And he goes, why would he want me? Because he loves you. That's it. You bring nothing to the table for him because he loves you. That's why. Well, why does he love you? Because that's the kind of God that he is. Not because you're worthy, but because He loves you. He wants to restore the image of God in you that was lost at the fall. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Flourishing are you who have nothing to bring to God. I pray that that's all of us, that we understand that we have brought nothing to the table. Zero. I continued on this conversation with my friend this morning. He's like, so like, other religions are like 50-50, like you do your part and God will do your part. 
I don't know what other religions are, man. It means that we bring 0% to the table. And God brings 100% of the table, and then we respond out of that. Even if we brought 1%, it wouldn't be Christianity. It'd be something else, but it would not be the gospel. It would not be a salvation by grace through faith. It would be a salvation by some merit of your own. That 1% that you gave, that would be a meritorious salvation, and it would not be what Jesus came to give. Instead, blessed, flourishing are the destitute, the spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus invites us, friends, today to admit that we too are spiritually bankrupt. It is okay, Grove, friends, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be messed up. It's okay to, to, to be depressed. It's okay to be mourning. It's okay to have difficulties in life. It's okay to be disappointed. Right? Do, blessed are you. God's going to give you the kingdom of heaven. It's okay to come to a place where you go, you know what? If I had this stuff figured out, I don't got to figure it out. I don't know. It's all right to be there. Jesus comes near to you and pronounces flourishing upon your life because he will give you the kingdom. I'll just say this, right? The opposite of the poor in spirit are those that are rich in spirit. Um, I've never seen a time, and I'm not talking about just our church, okay? So don't hear me like rebuking our church. I'm just, I've never seen a time, y'all, where we are more convinced of our own way than I have in these days. That's a rich in spirit person. The other way to say a rich in spirit person is to say self-righteous. Jesus does not say, blessed are you who, know, who you think you know the way. Blessed are you, flourishing are we, that are poor, spiritually bankrupt, bring nothing to the table, and God will give us all things. It is okay to not be okay. What's worse, though, is to pretend like everything's fine. That's not the way of human flourishing. That's not the way of the blessed life. Flourishing are those who are poor in spirit because they bring nothing to God, and God gives them the kingdom. That's the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Number two, there are nine. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who have grown weary with loss and disappointment in this life are flourishing. Why? Because God's, in God's kingdom, God promises to comfort us, not to relieve us. He doesn't say we're going to relieve you of that pain. We're going to relieve you of that depression. We're going to relieve you of that disappointment. No, you will be comforted in the midst of it. That's true comfort. From the God of all comfort, 2 Corinthians 1 would say that God's promise is to comfort those who mourn. So it's no wonder that human flourishing is okay with not being okay. Because we then have the freedom to mourn some things that we've lost or expectations or dreams or hopes or people. It's okay to mourn those things. Flourishing are us, are we who mourn for God will comfort us. Verse uh, number five, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So when you go to your next job interview and they say to you, hey, we would love to have you on, or you know, maybe we, we're not really sure if we'd love to have you on, um, what are your top three strengths? Is that the first thing that's going to pop up into your head? Meek, I'm very meek. Which, by the way, when you, when you say I'm very meek, you're obviously not. You can't, like it's this catch-22, you can't really say you're humble, because as soon as you say you're humble, you're, you're like not humble. The only person that was able to do that was Moses, who wrote 
Deuteronomy, and in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, and Moses, who was the most humble man on the earth. I was like, now how does that work? I, that's interesting, because God's writing it, that's why. When you're asked your greatest strength in your next job interview, meekness isn't at the top of the list, because everybody knows that a meek person isn't going to take the company to the next level, and that's what they're hiring you for. Blessed are you who are meek. Flourishing are you who don't assert themselves who don't use your power or your privilege or your personality to overpower another so that you can get your point across? Anybody listening to that? Facebook? Anybody? Blessed are you who are meek. Flourishing are you who are meek, for you will inherit the earth. You won't inherit someone else's acceptance of you. You'll inherit something much greater. God's green earth He will give to you. God will give us the earth. We don't have to use our position, our personality, or our power to attain things from people, to use them in some way. No, God promises in his time he will give us not just those things that we long for, but the entire earth. And the new heavens and the new, he- the new, heavens and the new earth are coming that Aaron preached on a little while back. Fourth, right? Num- verse number six, blessed are those who... Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Are you hungry, friends? Are you thirsty, friends? And if you are, what are you hungry and thirsty for? Jesus says, flourishing are you when there's something in you that's that's dying inside until it gets satisfied, and that thing being righteousness. Not just in your home, but in other people's homes. That's what Jesus came to give. He's perfectly righteous. If he's satisfied in himself being righteous, he'd just stayed in heaven. But he came to earth and pronounced to us, us, flourishing are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are we hungering? Are we thirsty for that? For God's way of living and believing upon the earth? Flourishing are you. Deep, a deep hunger for God's way of living is the, thing that's, the only thing that's going to satisfy those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. It's an echo out of Isaiah 55. A lot of this is an echo out of Isaiah. First couple are out of Isaiah 61. You'll talk about this. We've got a whole guide for all those that are in neighborhood groups. I don't think that we can tackle all the things, but you will see this in neighborhood groups if you're in one, and if you're not, join one online, whatever they're doing. Everybody's different. But like we're, we're going through these in our neighborhood groups this week. And so as we do, what you'll start to see is a lot of this is fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, particularly right here to hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Why? Because there's a great promise at the end of it, particularly out of Isaiah 55, which says this. Come, everyone who thirsts. You want to know why we open up uh, the last little bit with that? Hey, like for all who are weary, come. We welcome you. From Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich rich food. So friend, what are you hungry for? Is it approval? Is it popularity? Is it acknowledgement? May you find satisfaction as you feast on the bread, the manna from heaven. May you find satisfaction as you drink from the fountain of living waters alone. 
and be satisfied there. Nothing else will leave you with satisfaction. It will always leave you wanting more of whatever it is. Where are we running to get relief? Is it the same place that God has promised rest? That's the question. Right? We go on in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed, flourishing, are those who do not give to others what they deserve. Flourishing are those because God will not give them what they deserve. How can we not punish those who have done us wrong? You've been wronged lately? You've been wronged lately? You've been, you've been passed up? You've been wronged in some way online or maybe in person? You've been wronged in some way? How can we not take vengeance in our own hand? How can we not punish those who have done us wrong? By remembering God has not exacted vengeance upon us. He has promised not to go tit for tat for our sins. That's how we can be merciful. It says it. Blessed, flourishing are the merciful, those who, who, who do not pay back, for they shall receive mercy. And indeed, we have received mercy in Jesus. Though we receive, though we deserve punishment, though we deserve wrath, though we deserve a tit-for-tat payment scale for our sin, Jesus has paid it all for our sin once and forever, past, present, and future. Therefore, He's been merciful to us. He does not treat us according to our sin. No, He takes our sin and throws it away from us. And instead, actually, in some ways, in many ways, He put it on His Son, Jesus, but if we believe in Him, He takes our sin and He leaves us pure. He leaves us clean. He leaves us forgiven. Um, I don't know about you, but I've been all about Cobra Kai lately. You guys, anybody Cobra Kai? No Cobra Kai? Why? What? We got to replant this church. If we're not doing Cobra Kai, we got to do something different here. Okay, Cobra Kai, if you, I mean, I got to tell you, you just took the breath out of me right now. No Cobra Kai. All right, never mind. Um, all right, if you don't know Cobra Kai, it's like the sequel. It's a series. A lot of cuss words you can't recommend with your children. Also, a lot of gratuitous teenage kissing. What? Just spare me, okay? But in that series, um, what you'll see is that Johnny is trying to figure out how to live a new life, um, and he's trying to figure out, like, is Cobra Kai, is the Cobra Kai creed a thing that you can actually apply to all of life. And do you know the Cobra Kai Creed? Strike first. Strike hard. No mercy. Right? And so, is when you show mercy. And this is, this is like, this is a, a supreme narrative through the whole series. Is showing mercy weakness? Is showing mercy weakness? God would say, I don't think so. Look at my son Jesus who is merciful to you. The strongest man that ever lived on the planet. Blessed are you who are merciful. Who lay down our rights to strike first. Who lay down our rights to strike hard. Who lay down our rights to say no mercy for you. Flourishing are you who don't live like Johnny out of Cobra Kai. And that didn't land because y'all aren't watching it. Number six. Moving on from that fail. Blessed are the pure at heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see God. Flourishing are those who are devoted to glorifying God in all things, because God will reward them with His presence. Flourishing are those who live not for themselves, not for their own desires, not for their own comfort, goals, vision of life, but to glorify God in all things, because they will one day see God. Blessed 
Flourishing are the peacemakers in verse 9, for they shall be called sons of God. Flourishing are those who walk into relational war and broker peace. Flourishing are those who walk into relational war and broker peace. Flourishing are those who step into and rub elbows with and take a few bullets yourself in order to broker peace. Why? Because God will has called you His sons and daughters of God. This so represents the heart of God that we are called the family of God as we represent God on the earth as ministers of reconciliation, as, as representative of Jesus who became our peace, who broke down the dividing wa- uh, wall of hostility between two races of Jew and Gentile. That's what Jesus came to do. In Ephesians 2, blessed, flourishing are you who will so risk safety and broker peace on behalf of two people that are at odds with each other. Eighth out of verse uh, 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How can it be that those who are persecuted are flourishing? Flourishing are those who are cut off from friends and put out of their tribe. So students, I just want to talk to you all for a moment. If you're in middle school or high school, or even if you're in elementary school, like listen up, because I just want to talk to you all for a moment. There is a war being waged on your soul and has a lot to do with what happens online, especially in, in accordance with your friends. Okay, blessed are you, flourishing are you if you're not popular. Because persecuted, being persecuted means you're rejected, you're pushed out, you're kicked out of your tribe. You could even be killed for righteousness sake, for living like Jesus lived. You won't gain a lot of friends, y'all. You will not gain a lot of friends as you are living for Jesus. Because when you live for Jesus, when you, when you pursue righteousness, it turns into a mirror. And people who don't care about righteousness certainly aren't going to like the people that are showing them righteousness. They'll call you higher than them. They'll call you you on your high horse. They'll call you holier than thou. They'll call you judgmental. They'll call you all kinds of names and push you out of the circle you want to be in. Flourishing are you. Flourishing are you who are persecuted for righteousness sake. It's not about the best TikTok dance, and I'm not even going to do it, but I've been doing TikTok dances at home. My, my daughter's like, do it. Okay. Only because we're at the point in time when our kids need a little entertainment, all right? Okay? There you go. That's my impression of whatever my daughter is doing. I don't know what it is, but it's... And they have to, like, stick their tongue out and, like, eh, I don't know what it is, but it's terrible. Here's the deal. Like, like what are you being rejected for? And is it Jesus? Is it his righteousness? What are, is there a, a thing that you're being rejected for? My prayer is that it's yes. My prayer is that it's righteousness. It's Jesus. And that we are suffering for the king and his kingdom. Fleshed, fleshed, flourishing. I'm now flushed after that TikTok thing. Flourishing are those who live righteously and as a result are persecuted, beaten, bullied, put out and picked on. Blessed, flourishing are you because yours is the kingdom of heaven. God is going to give us the kingdom of heaven. We can either either build our own kingdom of approval, of respect, of popularity, of followers, of subscribers, of whomever we can gather online or in person, or we can live for righteousness sake. 
Those two things are often not the same. We will be pushed out by people, but we will never be put out by God. No matter how many times we're rejected by men, we who are truly flourishing because of God's acceptance and inheritance, your righteous good living will offend most, again, because it's a mirror of their true state. But I want to caution us, friend. Just because you face difficulty in winning people over for righteousness' sake, just because you face spiritual warfare, doesn't mean it's actually spiritual warfare. Doesn't mean it's the difficulty that God is describing right here. Because again, flourishing are you who are persecuted for righteousness sake. So if you go out and you're a jerk to people and they reject that message because you're arrogant, that's not what Jesus is blessing. I want us to understand that as someone who has fallen victim many a times to self-righteous presentation of the gospel. That's not true flourishing. Let us make a distinction here that just because we face rejection doesn't mean we're facing the kind of rejection that Jesus faced or that he blesses. Let us have an offensive uh, message that is the gospel, that you can't be good enough to be accepted by God. That's absolutely offensive. Many of you right now are going, well, yes, it is. We cannot be good enough for God. God will be good enough for sinners. That's what we declared before, right? God shows his amazing love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were good enough, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, rebels, arrogant, all those different things, that's when he came for us. That's when he died for us. We were running the other way, and we could care less about Jesus, and he came and met us at the pass and goes, hey, bro, where are you going? I got you. And you go, I can't do this anymore. I surrender and I follow you. That's the kind of love that he comes after us with. He will never give up pursuing us. That's offensive. Because we like to run the other way. We like to ignore him. We don't really like his, his standards of righteousness because they're convicting to us. Let us be convicted and let us be persecuted for the right thing. And so Jesus goes on to say in the last of the nine um, Beatitudes in verse 11. I want you to see something he does here because this is going to make sense as we go into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. He says in verse uh, 10, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness sake. That's a thing. That's a standard of holiness, a right way of living that God wants us to live. Now look at what he says in verse 11. Check this out. Blessed are you who are, uh, when others revile you and persecute you, same message. Why is he repeating this? Who revile you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on righteousness sake? No. He says, on my account. Jesus is equating the standard of righteousness with himself. That's a huge theological thing that I just want you to bank. That we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. Okay, that he is he is equating the standard of righteousness with how he lives and who he is. And he he says this rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I had a conversation with a friend this week, just some discouragement this week for me personally. Um, even as I'm going through the Beatitudes, just some discouragement for, this, for me this week. And as I was discouraged, I called him and he goes, hey, bro, bro, they treated the prophets the same way. Don't you remember that God told like Isaiah 
to go and do something. And then God told Isaiah, and when you go do that, it ain't going to work. You don't know that about the book of Isaiah, about the prophet Isaiah. That was his ministry. God told him to go declare a message to Israel. And then right after he told him to declare that message to Israel, he told him, this is not going to work. This is going to be very frustrating for you. They're not going to repent, but I want you to do it anyways. And what happens? They end up rejecting Isaiah. They end up rejecting Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all the rest of the prophets. They don't listen to them. Why? Because it's in our heart to be rebellious against the things of God because they're inconvenient for our ears, much less our lives. Blessed are you who are persecuted and put out and reviled and uttered all kinds of evil against falsely on Jesus' account. Flourishing are you. It reminds me of Hebrews 13. Eddie, pull up Hebrews 13, verse 12 and 13. I want you to understand this. When you get pushed out, it is because Jesus got pushed out. Right? Is it behind me? It's coming up. Hebrews 13, 12 and 13. I'll start. I'm sure it'll come up. So Jesus also, where did Jesus also suffer outside the gate? Outside the camp. If you continue on in verse 13, therefore, let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. What's he saying? Jesus didn't suffer while being accepted and liked. He suffered outside, outside of the camp, outside of the gates where there's rejection. That's where he suffered. And so the call is for all of us, don't get stuck in this city of blessing. Go outside of that city where Jesus is, where he's been rejected and reviled and persecuted for what he believes. Follow him into that hard life. It will be worth it. Why? Because in the days to come, in the age to come, God will give you your great reward, which is eternal life which is acceptance with God forever. See, you can choose to be accepted by men here, or you can choose to be accepted uh, by God here. There is very few times where that's the same thing. So God is inviting us to remember, flourishing are you who are pushed outside of the camp, outside of the people that you prefer, the people who called you friend but betrayed you, people that you called beloved but spat on you. Because great is your reward in heaven. And that reward is acceptance with the God of the heavens, the maker of heavens and earth, the one who knows how many stars are in the sky who knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows. And he calls you friend. The God who knows the recesses of your heart. He knows the darkest sin that you won't even admit to yourself anymore, much less anyone else. He knows those too. And he still came for you to love you, not to condemn you, not to judge you, but to pull you out of darkness close to him and say, come and find rest with Jesus and Jesus alone. The God that knows that what it's like to be misunderstood, the God that knows what it's like to not be given the benefit of the doubt, the one that, that he says it costs too much here. He covers over a multitude of sins with his love. Again and again. And again, so let's close. And as I do, let me just say this. For those who would flourish in God's kingdom, from the get-go in Jesus' ministry, He is weaning us off of this world. And He's inviting us into the city to come. He's inviting us into, don't find your rewards here. Because you will be shown mercy. You will be given the kingdom of God. You will inherit the earth. 
there is a constant weaning off of don't try and do A plus B equals C, which is make this life good. It's A plus B equals C. It's actually none of that. It's God's done everything. Live in response to that. Why? Because there's a reward for you great in heaven. And he's weaning you off of rewards here and now and pushing you to a point of delay and promise into the future. See, God has made room for you in the kingdom. If you've come to him and you've got got nothing to give to you, Jesus, yes, that's the one he came for. If you you find yourself depressed and you just can't get it together, who's emotionally and spiritually bankrupt, he's come for you too. He invites you to come to his bank and withdraw from his riches of grace again and again and again and again. And at this ATM of grace, there is never an overdrawn warning. There is a a richness to God's mercy and to God's grace. Because we need it again and again. Why? Why does he provide for us in such a way? Jesus became poor in spirit for us. He mourned. Remember at Lazarus' grave? He mourned so that we would have true comfort in him. He became meek when he gave up heaven to come to earth as a servant. He became our peace and now offers it to you. See, come to this table, friend, where Jesus is at the head, where the king of the universe welcomes you here. And he says, come and eat at this table. All you who are weary from persecution and the perfectionism that comes from being pure at heart. Come and taste and see how good this God is. The God who was persecuted for his righteousness, for his hunger to do the will of the father, what the father wanted and was pushed out so that you could be brought near. Come to this God. But if you are so righteous that you have no need of Jesus. If you're so right. that You can't admit wrong. A.K.A. repent. There's no room for you at this table. And not because God doesn't want you there. Not because there's not a space available. It's because you've looked at the feast and you've walked away. It's the great invitation of the rich young ruler, right? It's where all of us stand, stood at one point, maybe are standing today. Give everything you've got to the poor and come and follow me. Give up your whole way of forming your identity and come and be enriched in the kingdom of God and flourish here. Many of us walk away from Jesus just like the rich young ruler. But for those of us that are hearing and hearing the invitation of true flourishing inside the kingdom, the table has been set for you and the invitation is open for all of us. The question is, how are we going to respond? We're going to continue to walk out of here and continue to define the blessed life as however it was when we started this? Or is something going to change inside of us? Is the blessed life, the the life that's truly flourishing, available to all of us, going to be something that we actually reorient around and go, you know what? I'm not thriving in this. When I talked to my friend this morning, uh, who's an agnostic at Starbucks, I said, hey man, like, you're an agnostic. And after 20 minutes of conversation, I said, you're an agnostic, right? He goes, yeah. I go, but you're also depressed. You're also running to this. You're also running to that. You're also running to this. Your relationships are a mess. He's like, yeah. I go, so how's it working out? And he just laughed and he goes, not good. I go, yeah, man. I go, here's the thing, man. Like, all that will still probably be there. If you, if you come to, to the Lord, all that will still probably be there. But you can still learn to flourish with all that. You still learn to deal with all that depression and all that the temptation and some, some relational strife. You can still learn to flourish inside of the kingdom because you have a hope that God came for you. 
has come to give you all things in his time. The same invitation is for us. Whether we believe or we don't believe. The same invitation is to continue to repent, maybe for the first time or for the millionth time, and continue to trust in the way of Jesus. Let's pray as we consider this invitation. Lord, we love you. And we know that you've come to provide all that we could never attain on our own. All of us that have at one point said we don't need Jesus and now believe and now follow, you gave us the gift of eternal life. You gave us the gift of regeneration by your Holy Spirit. And so this invitation is before all of us, even today. So there may be some here, there may be some online. My friend may be watching on Starbucks. We love you, bro. We love you. If you're online and you're watching and you're hearing this for the first time, you're thinking, man, it's talking about me. We love you. We want you to come to the table where Jesus presides and invites you to eternal life with him. We will be put out. We will be persecuted. We will be disappointed along the way. We will find ourselves wanting to pay back people for sin, but the invitation will stand for all of us to live a life that is truly flourishing inside the God's kingdom by living into these things day by day. So Holy Spirit, help us. Help reorient our minds and our hearts around what it is that you would call truly blessed. Your arms are wide open for us. I pray that our feet are swift to come find rest. Come find rest in your son Jesus who has always stood out for all of us by saying, come to me, all you who are late, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not relief. I'll give you true rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We, we Lord, as believers say we want to learn from you. We, Lord, as believers say we want to follow you and walk with you. Would you teach us the way? Would you give us meek and, and, and poor in spirit hearts? May we not cling to a righteousness of our own or to continue to declare we know the right way without you. Help us conform to the image of your Son, Jesus, O Holy Spirit. We love you. We trust you for this and so much more. And so our only hope is in your Son, Jesus. Our only hope for anything, for all of this, is in Jesus. You're our truest light. In the midst of darkness, you're our truest light. So Lord, let us follow you and respond accordingly. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.